Some of you are saying, oh, thank you. It's the last time I got to watch that stinking thing, right? Okay. That is the last time you need to watch it. Let's pray. Father God, on a day like today, where we're reminded that you are the God of all creation. You're the God who creates beauty and detail. And, and Lord, even through the snowfall that we're enjoying here in St. Louis, uh, or not enjoying, Lord God, we give you thanks uh, for the amazing God that you are for your incredible generosity towards us. Lord, for the way in which even down to the finest details of our life, you have a love, a care, and a concern for us. So God, we thank you for that. And we just ask now that as we study your word one more time, God, that by the power of your word, you would speak something to us. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to open up our eyes to see the kind of life that you want us to have, the full and abundant life that you promise. And Lord, especially today, as we consider what it might look like if we all were of one mind and one spirit moving forward into the future, God, the incredible blessing that this church and that all of us together and individually could be for the world that you so much love. So Lord God, we thank you for this time and pray that you would lead us now by the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so one of two things. Either it's snowing really bad out right now, or y'all are so sick of the Consumed series that no one showed up today. Okay, all right? I'm going to say it's the first one. Okay, I'm going to say it's the first one. It's snowing out. But truly, I am glad that you are here today. And again, if you're watching online, I'm glad that you're tuning in. This is the final week in our series that we've been going through for the past six weeks called Consumed. Now, I got to admit, you know, as we watch that Pac-Man video and, and we've been seeing the Pac-Man visual on Spread the Word and right behind us, you know, the thing about Pac-Man, I've said it every week, it's a great game, fun game. You know, kids can play it, adults can play it, great family game, but it's a really sad way to live. You know, if your life is like Pac-Man in any way, where you just want to gobble, 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 consume, 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 accumulate, 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 purchase, 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 buy things, kind of climb the ladder, it may feel good for a moment. That's what we've talked about. But in the end, it will leave you unsatisfied and unfulfilled. And some of you, you've experienced that personally. You know and you resonate exactly with what I'm talking about. So over these past few weeks, we've talked about endless appetites. We've talked about the temptation to always accumulate more. We've talked about value and where we can find true value. We've talked about God's inverted economy and how God invites us to assume abundance in our life, not scarcity. We talked a week on debt because debt is something that probably holds us captive and holds us back in so many ways in our lives. And then last week I talked about generosity. So here we are in the final week. Now this past Monday in our weekly worship planning meeting with our worship team, uh, we were sitting around and we were debriefing last weekend and we were kind of putting the final, dotting the final I and crossing the final T about this weekend. And I, I just said, I, I said to the team, I feel like I've said everything there is possible to say regarding being consumed. I don't think I got anything left. Can we go on to another topic, okay? So I had to something, right? I feel like I said everything last week about generosity. And so we kind of joked about that, and some of you are probably like, uh-huh, yeah, you did. Go with your gut next time, right? Um, but we talked it through, and we began to throw some ideas around. And of course, you know, we knew that we'd be studying Acts 2 and talking about generosity's endless impact. But I was just thinking, man, what is, what, what's the thing? 
What's the thing for this final week of the series? And then, of course, it was spring break this past week for many of us. And so some of y'all, okay, I've talked to you already, went down to sunny Florida. Welcome home. Okay, feel great about that. Okay, some of you stayed here. Some of you, it wasn't spring break for you. You just continued to work. But in our house, it was spring break. And so we decided to head south a little bit to go camping. So we headed south to balmy Memphis, Tennessee. Mm, yeah. 50s during the day, 30s at night. Okay? And we were camping. Now, here's the thing about my family. We love to camp. The boys get excited about camping, just thinking about it. We have a great time, for the most part, while doing it. And then we have fun telling stories after. So we said, all right, we're going to go camping. Just got a couple days in the middle of the week. We're going to go camping for a few days. And so we headed down to Memphis, Tennessee. And it was in that experience that God taught me a lesson about generosity that I don't think I could have ever, ever, ever learned in preaching one more sermon about being consumed. Here's what happened. So we drive down to Memphis, Tennessee, and we stay at a state park just north of Memphis. Now, surprise, surprise, we pull up, and we've got our pick of campsites, okay? There's no one else there. Well, hold on. There was one other person there. So we pull up, and we get our site, and it's all good. But like I said, there was one other person there, and they were kind of off in the distance a little bit. We got all our stuff set up, and then it was time to eat dinner, and then, you know, starting to get dark, so we say, hey, let's build a campfire. Love to build a campfire with the kids. Uh, actually, the kids are really good at building a campfire. Daddy, not so much, all right, but I, I try the best I can. And so I went into the camper to grab the lighter, the lighter that I have used every camping trip for the past three or four years, okay? So I grabbed the lighter, got everything all set up. Oh, seriously? Come on. You got to work. Just, I need you to work for two more days. Nothing. Things not working at all. Keep in mind, there's really no one else around, okay? Well, except that one, one camper that's over there. So the thing about camping is that th- there's a great community when you camp. And so I said, all right, Andrew, my oldest son, let's go to that camper and let's see if we can borrow either a lighter or some matches. And so he rides his little scooter thing and, and I walk over there. This camper is old, it's rusty, it's probably from the 1970s. I mean, seriously, just a really beat up, not so great looking camper. Okay, mine's nothing to write home about, but this thing was really, really beaten up, really, really scarred, okay? And there's a pickup truck that was also there that was really beat up, really rusty, had a bunch of stuff in it, and had a canoe on the top. I thought, these people are either crazy Okay, because they've got a canoe on the top. What in the world are they doing with a canoe in the middle of March? Or they're just incredibly dedicated, outdoorsy kind of people. And they're not going to upgrade or this is what they're going to do. So I knock on the door. And no one came to the door. But someone opened up the window. Little, little roll window. Okay? And I see these eyes of what looks like a teenage boy kind of peer out the window. And he didn't say anything. And I said, excuse me, we're camping right down here. My lighter doesn't work. Would you mind, do you have an extra lighter or some matches that I might be able to use? And he said, hold on a minute. Crank the window shut. And about 30 seconds later, he came out, kind of opened the door halfway with a bag of matches. I said, oh, thank you so much. You know, I, I probably, hopefully, God willing, only need one, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go use it and then I'll bring it back. 
Well, I felt kind of bad, like I hadn't struck, him up, struck up a conversation anymore. And so as I was walking away, I said, oh, I noticed that your license plate says you're from Wisconsin. I'm like, perfect, common ground, I'm from Wisconsin. I said, well, so where are you from? He said, oh, we're from Rice Lake. I said, Rice Lake, I, I'm not sure where that is. Where's Rice Lake? He said, oh, it's kind of up by the Twin Cities, kind of north of Eau Claire. I said, oh, okay, cool. So are you down here for the week? And this is when it gets really odd, okay? He said, he said, no. We're here for two weeks because that's only as long as they'll let us stay. So, oh, okay. And then he said, we came from Texas. We spent the winter down in Texas in the Dallas area. I said, oh, okay. And I'm thinking, what in the world's going on here? So a 13-year-old boy, why isn't he in school? Where are his parents? Okay, this is all very, very strange. And there's dogs in the truck. Like, this is very strange, okay? I'm like thinking, you know, episodes of CSI in my mind or something at this point. And, and so I said, oh, okay. And, and he says to me, this is our home. I said, oh, you mean, you know, this is kind of like where you guys travel around and you come down the winter and then you go back to your house. He said, no, this is where we live. We've been homeless for nine years. And I'm sitting there with this bag of matches. And I'm feeling guilty. And I'm feeling bad. And I'm thinking, I just asked you to borrow a match or a lighter and you don't even have a house that you would call your own other than this. And so that was kind of the end of our conversation that night. I wasn't sure what to say next. So then I walked back to the camper and started the fire and I said, Christy, that's their home. And look what he gave me. He let me borrow a match, okay? So then I walked it back to them, and he came out of the camper, and as I gave it back to him, we started talking a little bit more. And he, he described that it was just him and his mom. Just him and his mom. And there was also a disabled sticker on their license plate. And so I began to think, I hadn't seen his mom yet, I began to think, man, these people, this is their life. You know, we're going camping on spring break. We're, we're enjoying our own little family vacation, and it's great, and we pull it behind our minivan, and, and we cook some good food. And, and you know what we're going to do in a few days, though? We're going to pack up our camper, and we're going to go put it in storage that I pay for, and I'm going to go to my house that I have a mortgage on, and I'm going to sleep in my comfortable bed with a nice pillow and turn my heat to whatever I want to do. And this is their reality. And so the next day, Okay, day two. I still don't have any matches. Okay, I gave him his matches back. Still don't have a lighter. And so I'm like, in, in shame, I walked to his camper and I said, I'm really sorry. But we forgot to pick up matches or a lighter when we were in town. Would you mind if I had one, just one more match? And so he dug around and he handed me this bag and he said, keep it. It's yours. I said, no, 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 I just, I just need one match. If I can just get one match, I'll be fine. He said, no, 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 keep it. Because you're going to need it again someday. And the guilt that I felt the day before about quadrupled as this homeless teenager with his mom, just him and his mom, gave me an ample supply of matches. I didn't know if they had extras, Okay, I, I, don't, I don't know if they had a lighter in the back. 
but they generously gave me these matches. And so a little broken, I walked back to the campsite, told my wife what had happened, okay? We talked about that, we processed it a little bit, and then took down the camper the next day, and as we were pulling out, okay, my wife struck up a conversation with the teenage boy again, and she came back to the camper as we were getting ready to leave, and she said, Ryan, I, I wished him a happy Easter, and he said, we don't celebrate Easter. And then she began to tell me a little more of the conversation, and she said, I think he's Jehovah's Witness, that's what it sounded like as we were talking. And he would really like to talk to you a little bit more. I'm like, cool, all right. So I started engaging him in a conversation. We started talking. His mom finally came out. And his mom started talking. And she start, started to describe the process that led them from, from where they were and the, the great job that she had to ultimately being homeless and for the past nine years living life on the road. She described all this to me. All the while... I've got these matches in my bag and I so desperately want to give them back and I want to say, here, you need these more than I do. But I knew what she would say. She would say, no, you'll need them next time. And so then as we continued talking, she began to tell me her faith experience and what had happened and then finally it all led to this. She said, you know, part of the reason that we think we're in the position that we are is because maybe God wants to tell us and teach us a little bit about how people lived as the church in the first century. I'm like, seriously? I said, so you're talking about Acts 2. And she said, uh-huh. And I said, are you busy on Sunday? Because I could really use you as I preach. Okay, no, I didn't say that. Okay, but that's what I was thinking. Because she was giving me a picture of what Acts chapter 2 might be. And so I know that that's a really, really long intro to get into our text, but let's go to our text now and let's think a little bit about bags of matches as we think about Acts chapter 2 and the early church. Okay, so if you'd grab your Bibles, go to page 1079. Go to page 1079, or you can log on to version right now to our live event, STJ, STL. You know, the book of Acts is written by a guy not by the name of Luke. Luke's a physician. Luke wrote, of course, Luke, and he wrote Acts. And in fact, he gives the entire theme of the book of Acts in the first chapter of Luke. You know, right before Jesus ascends into heaven, he records really important words from Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You can actually flip there if you want. It says, and you will be my witnesses. These are Jesus' own words. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now these verses that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, describe the activity of the earliest days of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, so it's a real legitimate church, first century in Jerusalem. Of course, today, we're not living in the first century. It'd be so easy for us to say, yeah, but that's how they did it. That's how they lived. And honestly, some of what we read here is descriptive. It's descriptive of what life was like for them and how they did it. But part of it is also prescriptive for us. Part of it prescribes an attitude and action and impact that even we, 2,000 years later, can have if we intentionally and deliberately live our lives in generous ways. So here we go. Starting at verse 42, we're going to see how true community can create incredible generosity in the lives of people. Look at verse 42. They devoted themselves, they being that early Christian church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now notice the distinguishing characteristics of the early church. Their commitment to the apostles' teaching. It says they devoted themselves. Now Luke, by the way, is a detail guy. He's a physician. He's a detail guy. So every word matters here. So he notes that they devoted themselves. They were committed to a couple of things. The apostles' teaching. In other words, all that Jesus had taught, many of whom, many of those who were here in this moment, were eyewitnesses to it. Others heard it from another source. But they knew it was true. They had experienced it themselves. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to all that Jesus had taught and did, especially centering in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You know, we're going to be doing that over the next seven or eight days here. We're going to be centering in Jesus' death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. So you don't want to miss what's going to happen. We're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching right here around this part of the life of Jesus. Then, to the fellowship. You know, to one another. They were committed to one another. They knew that their unity as a local church mattered. You know, sometimes we get the idea that the early church was simply a bunch of scattered small groups meeting everywhere. And certainly, there was part of it that was like that, But we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 41 that about 3,000 were added to their number that day, okay? That's a pretty big church, okay? We would call that today a mega church. So think beyond small little groups of people. Think even a bigger church. The church at Jerusalem was no joke. It was a rather significant church, And so they knew that fellowship mattered. They knew that unity mattered. They knew that maybe the most potentially dangerous thing in the church for them and even for us today is divisiveness and gossip and slandering and and not thinking highly of one another or treating each other as we should be treating one another as Jesus himself would want us to speak and treat one another. I I think it's so key that they devoted themselves to this fellowship because they knew that it mattered. And then it goes on to say, to the breaking of bread. Now, we don't know if this is a specific reference to the Lord's Supper. A lot of scholars believe it is. It might be, okay? I personally believe it is, okay? But it doesn't have to be, okay? Don't base your faith and your religion on that verse, right? Um, But it's certainly more than just a normal meal, okay? So they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, what else do we know about these early believers? They were imperfect people. So in other words, very similar to all of us. They, they had homes, they had families, uh, they had stress, they had anxiety, they had hopes and dreams for their life that some were being fulfilled and some were being crushed. They were not all that different than us, but they were incredibly devoted to what really mattered. Incredibly devoted. They had a single-mindedness to the mission and to the nature of God in such a powerful and in such a profound way. So look at verse 43. Look, look at their oneness, okay? And, and look at what happened. Everyone was filled with awe. Everyone. That's more than just the believers. All people. All people there. Those who who participated in it. Those who witnessed it or experienced it. Everyone was filled with awe. Could the same be said of the church today? Of our world today? Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So you've got this sense of awe and amazement even by people who didn't follow or believe in Jesus. People took notice. 
They took notice because something was different about this group of people. Now, is this why the apostles did what they did? Is this why the early believers did what they did? To get attention? Of course not. And yet, the natural result of incredible generosity, of over-the-top generosity, if you will, the natural result is that people will take notice. Why? Because it's not the norm. That's why. The normal is for people to fight for themselves, to provide for themselves first, and then maybe with the leftovers that I have, I might give it to another person. I might provide for someone else in need. But the early church was different. They lived a different kind of life. They were living out the words that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, we looked at this last week, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But earlier than that, he said, let your light shine before men. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do we do what we do? So that others might take notice of our witness. And in doing so, not give glory to us. But instead glorify our Father in heaven. Now look at verse 44 and 45. So this gets a little more descriptive. What happened? All the believers were together. And they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods. Look at this final, final phrase. They gave to anyone as he had need. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. This group of Christ followers fulfilled the needs of others, spiritually and physically, in some unprecedented ways. They gave to anyone as he had needs because they believed in a Savior who had met their needs. And they wanted to extend that out to people around them. Now, I'm going to assume for a minute that as we wrap up this series here today, I'm going to assume for a minute that, that maybe God's changed your heart a little bit. That, that you've said, you know what? I don't want to be a consumer, consumer, consumer anymore. I don't want to be a taker, taker, taker. I don't want to be consumed by everything all the time. Instead, I, I want to be generous. I, I want to give. And I'm going to assume for a minute that, that that's where we're at. That we want to be generous with what God has given to us. And yet, in reality, every single day and every opportunity that we have, we are faced with this emotional, mental, cognitive dilemma. And here's what it is. What difference can my generosity make? What difference can my meager generosity, my meager resources, my simple bag of matches. What difference can it really make? You know, the early church, they gave to anyone as they had a need. We've got needs all around us. We're six billion people plus in the world with needs that are so significant and so great and so overwhelming and it's heartbreaking. And we receive letters in the mail, especially around Christmas time, but at other times of the year, an opportunity to give, an opportunity to give, an opportunity to give. It's like, I want to give, I want to be generous, but what difference can my generosity make? If I only have $10 or $100, if I have $1,000, what difference can it really make? And so we get caught in this dilemma. And, and honestly, to make it even more difficult, we find ourselves wrestling with maybe not only this question, but also, okay, if, even if I believe I can make a little bit of a difference, who do I give to? You know, do I give to the United Way or the YMCA? 
Do I give to my alma mater or my neighbor's uh, upcoming mission trip as he goes to Kenya? Do, do I give to building walls in Africa or do I give to uh, building dormitories in Cambodia? What do I do? Who do I give to? You know, how would I choose one and not the other? And so we continue to get caught up in this dilemma of what to do, and it gets so hard. And honestly, this is where generosity gets difficult because you're going to see a need now. You're going to feel a need. You're going to want to make a difference, and you're going to have to decide what to do. You see, the hard part of generosity is that you need to decide where to give. The hard part of generosity is that you need to decide where to give. Because all of us, I mean, we have finite resources. We only have so much that we can give. We only have so many matches in our little bag. That's the hard part. But the fun part of generosity is that you get to decide where to give. And that's what I love about it is that God gives us incredible freedom. And and when we ask, God gives us wisdom. And and God causes certain things to to pull on our heart. And God allows us to see certain pictures and and, and videos. And we say, I want to make a difference in that person's life. The hard part is deciding where to give. The fun part is that we get to decide where to give. And so today, let me just ask you this question. As we wrap up our series, what's your bag of matches? What is the resource? What is the financial opportunity? What is the gift? What is the talent? What is the treasure? What is it that you can give to someone in need? You know, remember Acts 2, 45. Selling their possessions and goods. That's obviously descriptive. Describes what they did. But the next part's prescriptive, I think. They gave to anyone as he had need. What if the church did that? And by the church, I mean what if you individually, as the church, living wherever you live, in whatever city, in whatever venue, and in whatever place you find most appropriate, you give generously. Because you know that your bag of matches can truly bless and impact someone else. In fact, I would go so far as to say that your bag of matches has the potential to feel the flame of impact that would make an eternal difference in someone else's life. So what is it? You see, we can look at a bag of matches like this and we can say, all I have is a bag of matches. I don't have a million dollars. I don't even have a house. Th- I don't even have a house. Mine was foreclosed on. We've been living out of a camper for nine years. All I have is a bag of matches. We could, we could think like that. But that's called scarcity. And I, for one, do not believe that we have a God who is scarce. We worship a God who is abundant, who is alive, who is life-giving and multiplying in all that he does and all that he gives. And so instead of saying... All I have is a bag of matches. What if instead we said, I have a bag of matches. And with these matches, I don't know what God can do, but I know that God can do something. Because you know what God did with five loaves of bread and two fish? He multiplied it. 
You know what God did with uh, just th- this group of, of Christ followers? Started with 12, ended up with 11, then added another. You know what he did with them? They began to change the world. So what if your bag of matches got put together with my bag of matches and there were bags of matches all over the place? And then they're different. You know, we can't all do the same thing. We, we can't. But we can all do something. And what if we took our bags of matches and and together as a church and as a community and as families, we began to pool matches and we began to, even in our respective ways, bless and be generous and give generously in different ways. Generosity can have an endless impact in our world. You see, the greatest antidote, the greatest cure for consumption is generosity. And God has given you a bag of matches. Now is the time to figure out what it is and to let that match burn and to let that match spread and to let the fire begin and to feel the impact that God wants to have in your life. And so the weekly challenge, last one of this series, I'm going to ask that you give generously. That you give generously. Now, we already took our weekly offering, okay? That's not the point here. I'm talking about making a significant gift to a Christian ministry, to a cause, to to something that you believe in and that you want to support. And here's what I want to tell you about that. Be intentional and be generous. Frankly, you could do it here. That's fine. That's great. Thank you. But you don't have to, okay? Okay? Remember, the fun part is deciding where to give. And so I want you to have the freedom to decide where to give. And and to give generously as you figure out what your bag of matches is. You know, I don't know, maybe it is your neighbor's trip to Kenya. Uh, Maybe it's an upcoming mission trip that you're going to go on this summer. Or that someone in your family is going to go on and you want to support them. Maybe it's another cause, World Vision or or Compassion International. I don't know. But if we're people who are going to give to anyone... As they have a need, let's decide and let's do it. Let's take a step of faith this week. I mean, what an incredible thing to do during Holy Week. You know, as we are reminded of our own Savior's sacrifice, of how he walked from Jerusalem ultimately to Golgotha, to the place of the skull, to Calvary, and to the cross. As we consider that this week, watching his love What if we also considered loving others through our generosity? So give generously in whatever way is most appropriate for you. I want you to do that. And in fact, to help you think even more about this today and and to see the pictures and and to to grab a bit of the emotion uh, of this, take a look at this short video.